live in are a part of a group that, that they're a part of in Casco in, um, of, of Snowbirds, and, and Tom's also leading a, uh, an outreach in Casco. So it's just really natural and good to ask Tom to come and preach today. So I'm really looking forward to this. So thank you very much, Tom. I wish you were preaching more. <laughs> We're going to raise this up because of my eyes. <clears throat> um, the program today lists the scripture as, as Ephesians one, uh, chapter four, one through sixteen. I'm actually have chosen a variety of verses in Ephesians in uh, from chapter one, two, three, and four. Try and put a series together. So I'm actually not going to even ask you to follow. Try and follow with me in your Bibles. I think that might be too hard. I'm not going to give you the exact verses, um, but I'm going to ask you just to to listen and follow with me. To remember, this was a letter written by Paul, and uh, it didn't have chapters and verses in it originally. Now, I know I'm sort of cutting it into pieces, but we can sometimes do that as I try and pick out some of the highlights of, of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I will also be using the New Living Translation, which might be familiar to some of you all. Uh, one last uh, note of introduction. Uh, in the, the word Gentiles, we hear it a lot. It's used a lot throughout Scripture. And it, the original Greek of the word Gentile is the word ethnos. It's where our word ethnic comes from. I think sometimes we read the word Gentile in the Bible and we think we've got a people called the Jews and we have another nation called the Gentiles. There's another nation called the Romans, another nation called the Egyptians. And no, the word Gentile is used in Scripture means all other people besides the Jews. It's all ethnic peoples. So as you hear the word Gentiles and you think about it, really what Paul is writing about there is everybody, all peoples. Okay. So reading from uh, God's word, his, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He starts out, this letter is from Paul, chosen by God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. It is written to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly realms, because we belong to Christ. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. Now God's secret plan has been revealed to us. It is a plan centered on Christ, designed long ago according to his good pleasure. And this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And he has given this authority for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is filled by Christ. God saved you by his special favor when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For this is God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. God's purpose was to show his wisdom and all its rich variety to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. They will see this when Jews and Gentiles are joined together in his church. This was his plan from all eternity and has now been carried out 
through Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come fearlessly into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome. Now glory be to God. By his power at work within us, he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or to hope. May he be given glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever throughout the ages. Amen. Therefore, I, a prisoner serving, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. We are all one body. We have the same spirit. We have all been called to the same glorious future. There is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and there is only one God and Father who is over us all and in us all and lives through us all. However, he has given each one of us special gifts according to the generosity of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that the meditations of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight, Lord. Please use them as only you can to build us up as your body, that we might bring honor and glory to you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I told Mark when he asked me to do this that, number one, I wasn't comfortable preaching, much more comfortable teaching, but also told him that in our small group, our missional group, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And so um, I would try and uh, speak on that and speak to the, the notion of the centrality of the church in our lives. And that's why the long scripture reading, hopefully picking up on God's revealed word to, um, to Paul about the place of the church in our lives and the place of the church in God's plan for all eternity. The centrality of the church could be the title in the program. And that's a pretty highfalutin um, title. How did I come up with that? Well, there are some of us snowbirds, as, as Mark said, um, who decided to form our own missional or small group this summer while we're in town. And I can tell you, while it's warm and sunny in, in Florida all winter, there is a tension that we all live with because while it's nice weather-wise down there all winter, we cannot be here with you. We cannot be with each other. We really do miss the rootedness of being in uh, one church. We, you know, as we shared our testimonies with each other back in June when we got together, we expressed a desire for deeper fellowship and for deeper relationships. We miss those uh, in this sort of transient life that we live. Without that, the, uh, the church was a little bit for us here, for us old folks, if you will, a snowbirds, as Kevin calls us. It was a little bit nothing but, but cold worship, or it could be too easily cold worship and just sort of mechanical. You go to church because you've gone to church all your life. Um, it wasn't the warmth and the fellowship that we were hoping for. So through forming this missional group, we feel like we're much more rooted and grounded and connected. This is very important to us, and I, and I hope um, we can help. this can help you understand why it's important that, that you find that same rooting and grounding in your lives. The group also gave me the opportunity to uh, choose what book we would lead or what we would do for a subject matter, and I chose Ephesians for this reason. I felt as a new group just forming, it was very important that we um, would come to understand more clearly what God's purpose is for us in and through the church, why he formed and set up the church. Um, I'm convinced more than ever now after sp spending two months studying Ephesians that this is a very important topic for all of us as Christians. And so I wanted to bring that, some of these thinking um, to you this morning. There are two other areas that are constantly in prayer for me that have led me to, to want to talk about this topic this morning. First, Sally and I have a son 
uh, who made a commitment to the Lord as a child, and but he's chosen not to walk with God as an adult. And yes, we do have a daughter and, and family who are deeply committed to the Lord, to the point of being missionaries for 13 years in Senegal, as many of you all know now. Many of you expressed to us how hard it, it must be to be separated from them at such distance, and not seeing the children and the, their children, our grandchildren and the family growing up together. And while that's true, to be honest with you, it's even harder to have a wonderful son and his wife and two other granddaughters who are not walking with the Lord. We pray for them constantly. We pray that the church, the people of God, would reach out to them and would help them to see what God has um, in store for them. Remember Jeff, two weeks ago, prayed that we need to see both what our need is and what God's mercy is for us. That's our prayer for our son and for his family. And it's really only going to be, I believe, through the church, through the people of God, that they're going to come to understand their need, and God's mercy and love for them. The third reason I thought this topic might be appropriate. We have good friends in Connecticut. We've stayed in touch with them. Uh, We were in Bible study, small group with them for 10 years. Actually, a group there again that I led, it was hosted by them our last three years in Connecticut. And yet when we moved up here eight years ago and moved away from Connecticut, they basically have stopped going to church. They're devout Christians. They love the Lord. They still do daily devotions. They read books. She's from Texas. It goes back to Texas one week every year to a big Christian conference. But they're not in touch with God's body. They're not in touch with the church. I think, I presume that many of us have friends and acquaintances like this, people who know the Lord, people who tell you they love the Lord, that God's important to them, yet they're not involved in the church. The church is just not part in any meaningful way of their lives. The church is certainly not central to their lives. The church. We all know the church is is not a building. It's a gathering. It's a fellowship of God's believers. Even our sign out front does not say, does not identify this as Wyndham Baptist Church, it says Wyndham Baptist Church, the faithful followers, this group of faithful followers in Wyndham and surrounding communities gathers here. But do we as Americans living in the 21st century really understand the importance of being the people of God? Do we really get it that when Jesus went to the cross, yes, he died for my sins and he died for your sins, But he died to form a new creation, a new people, a new society, a new humanity. He died to form the church, the body of Christ. For too many of us, and I think for all of us some of the time, our faith is too individualistic. We sell God and we sell the gospel short when we allow ourselves to fall into this trap. Christ died not died not only to redeem us from sin, but he also died to adopt us into his family. The gospel is good news, proclaiming the creation of a new society, as well as the forgiveness of sins. We know we live in a fallen world, a world which is constantly feeding us lies and putting false ideas into our heads. One of the most diabolical of these notions is that the world revolves around me. Meism is what I call the new theology of a developed and the prosperous world. Certainly, it, meism, selfishness, is the source of the original sin, as we see through Adam and through Eve. But historically, as prosperity has grown in any culture, meism raises its ugly head and it becomes more and more insidiously uh, in, into our minds. The Israelites, we know, had an ongoing fight to see themselves as the people of God. They were called out by God to be a light unto the nations. 
God told them he was going to form them as a special people. And yet as they got settled in the land, we know that they wanted to be like the other peoples around them. They wanted to have a king. They wanted to. They began to worship fertility gods, thinking this would help them have a better harvest, things like that. They were continually, as we know, going down a slippery slope that the writer of Deuteronomy summarizes when he says more than once, each man went to his own tent. Again, individualism, meism, how quickly it and how easily it is for us to sink into that. Now, I'm not saying as individuals we should stop seeking to honor him, that we should stop seeking the specific gifts and talents and opportunities we have to honor God. What I'm saying is that we have lost the sense of being part of what missionaries call a people group. We've allowed Satan to get us to think of ourselves as individuals rather than as part of the people of God. One military strategy has always been to divide and to conquer. We cannot allow Satan to do that to us, to his church. Mark's methodology, as he has preached to us on our core values earlier this summer, has been who is God, what has he done, who am I, what am I to do? Well, we know that God is a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God himself is a small society, if I might put it that way, and he created us because he desired to have fellowship with us. He has promised from the beginning that he will be our God and that we will be his people. He desired fellowship not with individuals, but he desired fellowship with the saints, with all the believers, the faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So let me challenge you to go back and reread Ephesians when you have time, reading all the yous in it, not a singular as we tend to do in our culture and in the English language, but go back and read them as plural, as so many other cultures and languages allow you to do. A lot of you all maybe know French. And in English, we have one word, you, meaning singular and plural. And we have to figure out from the context which way it's to be used. In the French language, there are two words, to, the singular you, and vous for the plural you. And so the word tells us which way it's meant. Paul in the book of Ephesians, and really throughout so much of Scripture, it's the plural you that's being used. I think as we do this, as we look at Ephesians, we look at Scripture and understand the notion of God raising up the people of God, we can understand how Luke can record in the book of Acts, for example, that on one day 3,000 people came to the Lord, and another day 5,000 people came to the Lord. We can understand how whole households even in the face of persecution, can make a commitment and come to the Lord. Now, this is, this is what our kids in, in Senegal as missionaries mean when they ask us to pray for a people movement. They know of this happening. They've seen it happen. We've all read about it happening in other cultures and places. And they trust that they will see it again among the Wolof people that they're working with. But do we allow ourselves to think this way? It's very tough in our culture. Young people in gangs tend to think this way, don't they? Even some of us that work in our companies, we have a sense of identity with the mission and purpose with our co-workers. We have a sense of, of plural identity, of rootedness there. But do we as Christians have a strong sense of our identity being as that as part of the community of God? Do we see ourselves as part of that new creation which the book of Revelation talks about and says will be established once and for all times? And we are part of that new creation right now. That's to be at the core of our identity. Now, a quick side trip here might be helpful. Most of us have heard the terms the visible and the invisible church. I believe our culture has taught us to think that the visible church is that group of faithful followers who gather like we do at Wyndham Baptist, visible to the world. And we tend to think of the invisible church 
is those individuals that God knows who believe in him, but we don't know about them. We think of, I, I think of uh, God encouraging and, and really challenging Elijah in the Old Testament. And Elijah felt he was the only believer out there to tell him that, that no, there's 7,000 more that you don't even know about Elijah. We, if, if we look at both of those examples, the visible church and the invisible church, that remnant idea, we see a very individualistic way of looking at the church. I don't think this is what theologians have meant through the ages when they tell us about the invisible church. A better understanding of the indivisible church is that it's an idea, it's a plan in God's head, as I read in Ephesians, that he's always had, he's always planned on it, and while it has imperfectly started here now among us, at some point he will bring to fruition the perfect fruit, fru, uh, the perfect full completion of that plan of his. Remember, God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. God has willed it and it will be done. That's his perfect idea and he will bring it into existence in the end times. Not the ragtag, torn up, cleansed, not the ragtag, torn up and fragmented church as we know it, but the unified, pure, cleansed, beautiful, church that, that he has planned from the beginning of time. That's his idea of a church, what it should be, the new creation which we are to believe in and to work to establish. So this is God and what he has done, and this is what God will do. So what am I to do? Who am I? I am a saint. I'm a confessed and baptized believer in Jesus Christ. I'm not perfect. Certainly by any means, I'm still a sinner. But as a saint, I no longer stand alone. I cannot see myself as an individual. I see myself as a member of the people of God, God's new creation. If I see myself as an individual, that's a lie. That my flesh, bless you, that my lie, that, that the world, that even Satan himself is feeding me and trying to get me to accept. I work to see myself as a saint, the forgiven part of this new creation. Scripture assures me that God's plan is to make his people, the church, perfect. I praise God for that, for it is completely beyond my doing. And then what about you? As saints, you don't have to have done some miracle or have been proclaimed a saint by some ecclesiastical body. Saints are those who, as Paul addresses his, opens his letter to the Ephesians, they're God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers. That's God's vision for us, the body of Christ, the church, a body of faithful followers. We are all one body, as he says in Ephesians. We have the same spirit, and we all have been called to the same glorious future. Now, the English writer and preacher John Stott, who we've been using as the author of our study guide in our small group, he comments that in secular history, it, co it concentrates its attention on kings, on queens, on generals, on presidents, in fact, on VIPs. The Bible concentrates rather on a group it calls the saints, often little people, insignificant people, unimportant people, people who are, however, at the same time, God's people. And for that reason, they are both unknown to the world and yet well-known to God. Another example of this is as Paul writes to uh, the church in Corinth. He talks about himself and his, um, those in ministry with him, his, his band of followers. And he, and, he, and he says that his people, Paul's people, try to live in such a way that no one will be hindered from finding the Lord. And he says that so no one can find fault with our ministry. He describes there in 2 Corinthians their lives by saying, we serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or whether they praise us. We're honest, but they call us imposters. 
We are well-known, but we're treated as unknown. We live close to death, but here we are, still alive. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Paul's description of his people, the people of God, as they work in ministry in the world. That's who we are, God's people, the body of Christ. God wants his church to be actively visible on earth, and he has chosen us to be Christ's representatives, Christ's ambassadors. We are to be light and truth to the world. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4 of Ephesians are just one example of where scriptures comment on how we're to do this. Paul challenges us to live our lives <clears throat> worthy of the calling we have received, the awesome privilege of being called God's, uh, Christ's very own, his body. He tells us we're to be humble, gentle, patient, understanding, and peaceful. How are we doing? How are you doing? How are you doing as part of the body? These character traits should be distinctive marks of the body as well. The world is watching us. They're ready to judge the church by what they see and they hear of us as a body. Now, as I said, the church was never intended to be only a building, a place where lonely people walk in and then they walk out still lonely. The church is to be a fellowship, not a place but a people who speak the language of love. In true fellowship, we receive one another as children of God. We build up those who are hurting. We celebrate with those who are celebrating. We mourn with those who are mourning. We act with kindness and tenderheartedness towards all. One night I presented to our small group the question, what if as we were celebrating communion here at the, the various tables, someone got in line at the table where you were? And let's say just for want of a description, you know, he had long, scraggly, dirty hair. Say he was dressed all in black, maybe even had a leather jacket on it with a swear word on the back. Would you be able to get in line with that person? Would you be able to take the bread and dip it into the cup and, and walk over someplace and pray with that person to see that that person and to accept in your heart that that person has confessed that they were a sinner they had a need and they had accepted the mercy of God and they were here to be with his church or would you instead shy away have a tendency to, uh, to go and sit and, or stand and pray with others Patsy, when we were sharing that, shared with our uh, our missional group another example of a, a large church. I think she said it was in Texas, but it doesn't matter. But a large church who called a new pastor. And he uh, was to be introduced on this given Sunday. And, uh, this Sunday, as they're ready to introduce a new pastor, there was this man walking around, looking quite like a homeless man, in rags, sitting here, sitting there, moving around very uncomfortably being asked, it turns out, several times by the ushers or by other people to move and find another place to sit, maybe in the back. Maybe there's another place that you would be more comfortable. The service started, and as you would maybe guess, when the uh, head of the elder board, whoever it was who was to introduce the, the new pastor, introduced him, this man in rags, this homeless-type man walked up and introduced himself as the pastor and challenged them with the story of how he'd been treated and with the question of were they really the body of Christ? Were they being Christ? Were they ready to be Christ to the world? Whether it be that, that young man who comes in in our midst, a young woman, someone we're not comfortable with personally, that asks us to, to walk with them, to be the church with them. Do we understand that, that that person 
that we have a sense of dignity. We have our, our worth because we are created by a loving Father God in His image and in His likeness, and not because of anything we've done. God doesn't love us because of what we wear, how we dress, or how we don't dress. Because we have hair, we don't have hair. That's not uh, why God has invited us to be a part of his family. He's invited us to be a part of his family because of who he is, despite the fact that we are sinners. For we know he died for us while we were yet sinners. And it's as a member of his family that I now have a special relationship with him, with God Almighty, as a member of his new creation. It's all plural. It's not about me but it's about being part of the body. As Paul says in Romans 12, Romans 12, we must not let ourselves be conformed to this world, but instead we must, we must let our thinking be transformed by God, by the spirit of truth. As a basketball coach for many years, the most important lesson I had to get across to my team each year as a new team was formed was that if we're to be successful, each player had to understand that there was no I in the word team. Of course, my job as a coach was to coach up their individual skills, their talents, what they brought to the team as much as possible to maximize those talents and those skills. And yet, if I overall couldn't convince them to use those skills and those talents for the benefit of the team, to put the plan, the purposes of the team over their own individual purposes and goals. We weren't going to be as successful as we could have been and as we should have been. And I had to convince them of this. I think that's part of why I loved coaching so much, to help young people, young men, young, young women understand there's always something more important than ourselves. And again, maybe why this topic on the church is so important to me having worked with young people so long and, and seen them so committed to themselves and yet seeing that if they were going to grow into young adults, they had to grow to be people who would understand the importance of that which is greater than themselves and to be able to commit to that. Can I make the analogy that the Holy Spirit is the greatest coach of all times? As he spoke to us last week, Christ is truth and love the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And that's who is to guide our church. Paul's prayer in chapter 3 is that we would be given mighty inner strength through the Holy Spirit. And that as a church, and, and that as Christ is more and more at home in our hearts, we would come to trust Him more and more, being filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. We, the body of Christ, could then come to speak what I call the language of love. And then we could be in true fellowship with one another. Only when we, the church, abide in him and he abides in us can we hold the truth in love. The truth is who God is and what he has done. As we accept that, then we know who we are and what we are to do. Again, please hear all these we's and us's as plural. We need to know ourselves as parts of the body, parts with gifts and skills to use for the work of the church. And as a local body, a small nuclear family, we're intimately part of the larger family of God, the church universal. Healthy, growing, full of love, and with a mission, with a calling. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. The whole body, under his direction, filled with the Spirit, is fitted together perfectly with a mission, with a calling. We as a people, as a body of Christ, are called to be Christ to the world. And we must acknowledge that Christ has given an enormous task to his church. In Matthew, we know that Jesus tells us we are to go out to the ends of the earth and to make disciples of all nations. This involves preaching teaching. It involves healing and nurturing, giving, building up, administering, 
so many other tasks. It involves reaching out to people here within this church. It involves reaching out to people in Wyndham and Casco. It involves reaching out to people in Portland, across seas and across oceans. And if I know that if, if I or if we had to fulfill this command as individuals, we might as well give up without trying. It would be impossible. But remember, God calls us as members of his family. Some of us can do one task, some can do another. Together we can obey God more fully than any of us can obey him alone. Selfish, sinful individuals, we tend to overestimate what we can do ourselves, I think. And I think we tend to underestimate what we can do as a group. But God assures us that as a group, as the body of Christ, we can accomplish more together than we can even think or imagine possible. Working together, the church can express the fullness of Christ. I cannot do that alone, and you cannot do that alone. But working together, we can be the church to the world, the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. So Sally and my prayer is that our son and his family will come to walk with the Lord because we, we trust that God, through his people, through his church, will bring back to himself all those whom he has called. We all have dear loved ones that we pray for. Let us also pray that as followers of Jesus, his saints will see the life that they have been called to and that they will be light and life to those dear lost ones that we do pray for. Let us pray for the church that it will be faithful to its call under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to be imitators of Jesus the Christ who said, I came to seek, to seek and to save the lost. And let us pray for those like our friends in Connecticut who see no need for the church in their Christian walk. May we help them to see that the full arsenal of God, the depth and richness of his love and his mercy can only reach out to the hurting and the lost when the full body of Christ is working together. The church is weaker without them, just like our hands would be weaker if we lost a finger or a thumb. We have to work and pray fervently that all the saints, all believers, would understand and accept that the church needs them and they need the church. Think what a believer misses out on when they're not in fellowship with other believers. We all prosper by personal encouragement, support, nurturing. The difference one comment, a hug, even just a warm hello can make on any given morning is just amazing. So don't let us miss the chance to be that for somebody else or for somebody else to be that for us. We have to see that as Christians, we're part of the body of Christ. There's no standing alone for us. We cannot do it our own. We need Christ, and we need each other. Let me make one last quick side trip. As us old folks in this missional community, us snowbirds, as we, we gather, we talk, and we're, we just see it's so wonderful. There's so many young families here with your children, and uh, we've all been through that, and we're even watching our own families with their with our grandchildren growing and so I want to ask in a sense to you young parents you know how are you doing with your children with what I'm talking about because our culture as I've said uh, and even our children as in ourselves our own innate selfishness feeds them this lie of look out for yourself you know me first what are the words of our culture? Self-service, instant gratification. If it feels good, do it. How are you doing as parents with your children? How are you doing teaching them that they are really to be a part of a body? They're part to be part of the body of Christ. Um, th this language of love that we speak can really only be spoken well when we speak it as a body language 
talk about sign language, and some of our children are learning sign language. How about helping our children learn to speak body language, the language of love, where they learn that they serve a God who isn't limited by territory, who isn't limited by languages like English and French, but a God who wants them to speak the language of love. This is a hard lesson to teach, but it's essential if we're not to lose our children to the world, to Satan, the great deceiver. Here again, let the church, the body of Christ, help you as young families. As you grow to see yourselves more and more as part of the body, as you get involved and use your gifts within the body, your children will see that. They, your children will see that, and they will hopefully be encouraged to see who they are in the Lord and will begin to use their gifts to do the work of the body themselves. So, as I close, do we recognize the place, the importance, the centrality of the church in God's master plan? If the church is central to God's purposes, as seen in both history and in the gospel, it must certainly be central in our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? His plan from the beginning, which he will accomplish, is to unite all people under the headship of Jesus into one body, one family, the saints praising and worshiping him forever and forever. We must seek to become responsible church members, active with our gifts and local activities of the church and in its ministries, we cannot allow ourselves to settle for low standards which fall far short of the New Testament ideal. Can we keep the vision of God's church, his dwelling place, and his instrument to the world constantly before us? If we're able to do this, then we will be ready to pray, to work, even to sacrifice, to turn the vision God has for his church into a reality. Praise be to the God for whom all things are possible. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Let's pray. Father, what, what Tom just shared is such a, a great reality for us, and yet it is overlooked too easily in this culture today. Help us not to be people who live like consumers to find out just what we can get uh, to take care of ourselves. Instead, just renew that sense of family that goes beyond even our own physical DNA. I pray that you would help especially those that long for what Tom's talking about, to be part of family, but they, but they don't know how. God, it's, it's scary, or they're, they're waiting for someone else to bring them in. I do pray that you would help us to reach out to others. I pray that you would help us to go beyond our comfort zones because we love you and trust you. Because, because Jesus was so willing to go far beyond his comfort zone to come and rescue us. Pray that even if we feel like we're, we're introverts, or even if we feel like we're, we're quiet, or even if we feel like we're really good, not really good at remembering people's names, I pray that you would help us to have the same heart that Jesus had, to risk, to step beyond, because we really believe that what you have made is so good for us. Jesus, thank you for this body. I thank you that we get to really be family with each other. I thank you that we watch out for each other. I just pray that that would grow. And I pray that many from our community would see that and see that there's something different. That there's something different. It's not just that, that life is easy for us to get along. Instead, we're actually just so committed to each other that we're willing to press through even when it's hard. So please, show yourself to our community. Show your glory to, our, to this region. 
because of this humble, weak, broken, and needy church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We do all this to your name and because of your glory's sake. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God doesn't pick the ones who have it all together all the time to uh, to work out as well. And I'm really grateful that he doesn't keep us there either. So uh, go in peace. Please join us downstairs. Uh, there are refreshments. Thank you.